Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. All right, before we get to the message today, I want to let you know what's coming up next week. Uh, We're starting a new series. It's called Simple Words. Uh, Words are powerful. Uh, Sometimes the simplest word can change the trajectory of your life. Uh, The word help can begin the healing process for those struggling with addiction. Uh, The word yes can open the door to new possibilities. Uh, The word sorry can bring healing to a relationship. Using these simple words will allow God to uh, do profound things in our lives. And I just want you to know that I'm super excited about this series and what God's going to do in our lives over the next five weeks. All right, today will be the last week in our Confidence series. Uh, We're called to be always confident, not in ourselves, not self-confidence, but confident because God is here and God is at work. Uh, So I don't have to depend on myself or worry about myself. We looked at this little grid by Andy Crouch where he talks about how we're meant to live with great authority because we're image bearers of God, but we're also meant to live with great vulnerability We're dependent on God. We're mortal. We have to navigate living with great authority and great vulnerability. We've been looking at Jacob and how he doesn't like when he feels vulnerable. He wants authority, but not vulnerability. And then he ends up in the quadrant where he has no authority and he's very vulnerable, which is suffering. We walked through that the last couple of weeks. Now this week, we're gonna look at one dynamic, one problem in Jacob's life that uh, is persistent the whole way through because it will wreck a life. It's a problem for me and it's a problem for you. And I'll start by asking a question. Who taught you how to lie? Who would you say taught you how to lie? It's kind of an odd thing. Most people could probably say who taught them how to drive a car or to ride a bike or to play an instrument or learn a sport. But no one needed to teach us how to lie. I was reading this week that a six-month-old baby is able to fake cry to lure his mom or dad to come in and pay attention. Six months old. Like the baby is lying there in the crib thinking, you sucker, I can make you come in here whenever I want. Then when we get older, we start to learn to use words, uh, but we don't grow out of lying. We immediately learn how to use words to deceive other people. And then we become adults and we don't grow out of lying. We just get better at it. There's a guy named Robert Feldman. Uh, He's a researcher at the University of Massachusetts and he found the average adult lies three times in a 10 minute casual conversation. That's the world we live in. You know, I was thinking that would mean for this sermon, every time I do a 30 minute sermon, I will lie on average nine times. So I figured if I just cut the sermon, I'll lie less. Uh, So this week I'm doing a 10 minute sermon. Okay, that's a lie. (laughs) 
Like this is so pervasive. Even our most famous stories get tainted with this. You may know the most famous story in American history about the nobility of truth-telling involves a little boy named George Washington. One day his dad comes home and his prized cherry tree had been chopped down. And he asked, who chopped down my cherry tree? And little George with the little ax famously said, I cannot tell a lie, it was me. Now in the book where that story was first written, his father responds to him, oh George, I'm glad you cut down that tree for by telling the truth, you've repaid me more than a thousand trees, though they had leaves of silver and fruit of gold. <laughs> the question is, who talks to their kid like that? No one talks to their kid like that because the story was just made up. It was in a book over 200 years ago by Parson Weems. He was an Episcopal pastor and he just made the whole story up. Like the most famous story about not lying in American history is a lie told by a pastor about a politician. And the reason we lie, the reason I lie, is I'm not confident God will take care of me if I just tell the truth. I'm afraid because I know if I tell the truth, I'm not gonna get what I want, or I'm gonna get what I don't want, or I'm gonna have to face pain, or you're gonna think badly of me, or we're gonna have to deal with conflict, or it's gonna be embarrassing, or I'm gonna be shut out, or I'm gonna feel enormous shame. See, to live in confidence with God would be to actually be able to live in the truth. I can't actually live in the truth unless I'm confident in something greater than how my circumstances are going to turn out. And this is how Jesus put it. The truth will set you free. Lying will not. It will bind you. The evil one, Satan, is the father of lies. This is what John said. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And that's the great invitation we'll come to today, to live in confidence in the grace and the mercy and the love of God. But first we have to walk through, what does it look like to be in the darkness? What's the anatomy of deception? Why and how do we do it? And we'll do that by looking at the story of Jacob because it's there from the beginning to the very end. We find it at the very beginning of Jacob's story. His dad, Isaac, has a favorite son, Esau. Jacob is the non-favorite son of his dad. His dad is old, his, his dad's going blind, his senses are failing. And he says to Esau, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. He says to his favorite son, Esau, now then get your equipment, your quiver and bow and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now, there's deception going on here. Uh, it's easy for us to miss it but ancient readers would see it immediately. It was actually kind of a stock scene in ancient literature. When the head of the family, the patriarch, was dying, there would be like this deathbed scene. He would call his children, particularly his sons, uh, to him, all of them, and he would give them each their blessing, and the best one would go to the firstborn. 
Isaac doesn't want to do that because he wants to play favorites. He wants to give a big blessing to Esau. He doesn't want Jacob to know about it. He doesn't want to give Jacob a blessing. So he's trying to finesse this whole deal. He says to his son Esau, now, you know, I don't know, I might not be dying. I'm not sure. So, you know, we don't need to call in the other boys, but, you know, I might be dying, so I have to give the blessing to you. And then Esau doesn't say, oh, dad, if, if this might be the big death scene, you know, we have to call in my brother. We have to bring Jacob here too. He just says, okay, I'll go hunt the game. I'll bring you the stew. He colludes with his dad. You know, deception almost always involves collusion. And we're generally willing to do that because we want in. Esau wants in, and then that means Jacob is out. Now, Rebecca, the mom, Isaac's wife, hears this, and she could bring it all to the light. I mean, she could say, hey, you know what? As a family, we have to talk about this, but she doesn't. She decides there's deception going on here, and so she'll use deception too. And she probably feels justified in it, as you and I probably would too. She calls Jacob, her son, her favorite, and tells him what's going on and says, you put on your brother's clothes. Your dad is old and blind. His senses are failing. He'll think you're Esau. I'll fix some stew. You can tell him you're Esau. You went out and hunted it down and you fixed the stew and then you get the blessing. Now, Jacob has a chance to bring stuff into the light. I mean, he could say to his mom, like, we can't do that. That wouldn't be right. We have to tell the truth. But he doesn't. He colludes with her. All right, I'll do that. I'll put on Esau's clothes. I'll go to the old man. And he does. And it's a heartbreaking, tragic scene. The text says, Jacob went to his father and said, my father. Now, this is so interesting. These words are true. Isaac is his father. But they're also a lie. Because he knows Isaac is going to think that he's Esau. His words strictly, literally are true, right? And we do this, don't we? Yes, my son, Isaac answered. He's skeptical, as often happens when there's deceit. Who is it? Which son are you? And now Jacob is going to have to actually use words to lie. He could come clean if he wanted to. He could say, Dad, this is wrong. I'm all wrong here. Or he could go to the place where he actually lies with words, and that's where he goes. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. And Isaac is still skeptical. Isaac said to his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? How did you shoot the game and then bring me this stew? Again, Jacob could have come into the light. You know, dad, this is all a lie, but he doesn't. Look what he says. The reason I was able to capture that beast so quickly and fix the stew is the Lord your God gave me success. Not just the Lord, the Lord your God. Dad, you're a guy of such great faith. I admire your faith so much. The God you love and serve was with me. He uses his spirituality to deceive someone else. And we do this too, don't we? We do this. You know, I grew up in a church where one of the marks of spirituality was to have a Bible that was all marked up and underlined. And when I was in church, 
if they were reading a passage and I had it all marked up in my Bible, you know, I would be sure that I offered to share my Bible with the less spiritual person next to me who didn't bring their Bible because I could use a marked up Bible for spiritual image management. I mean, that's what happens in churches. Here's what we see in the story. It's very hard to stop with just one lie. Lies are kind of like potato chips. Do you ever notice that with potato chips? It's really hard to stop with just one. There's something about the situation, you know, once you're in, man, you just keep want to go keep wanting to go down that road. And I'll tell you how sensitive our souls are to being, being deceptive. Uh, in one research project, the, the researcher gave 300 people very expensive glasses, like multi-hundred dollar designer glasses, but they were told, half of them were told that these were just knockoffs. Uh, they were just cheap counterfeit imitation sunglasses. And so they wore these sunglasses for a while and they gave everyone tests and they allowed them all to uh, score their own tests. And they would give them money based on how many answers they got right. Now, the people who believed that they were wearing fake sunglasses were three times more likely to lie about how many answers they got right and just take the money under false pretenses. Just because they were wearing fraudulent glasses. Like, when we feel like frauds, we're more likely to commit fraud. That's how sensitive our soul is to living a fake life. Now, I have to explain this very carefully because otherwise people are apt to think the point of this is God wants me to buy expensive sunglasses. And that's not the point. The point is deceit destroys trust and it destroys relationships. That's what happened in this family. And it's just a train wreck. Esau comes in from the hunt and brings his stew to his dad. His dad, Isaac, said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? Now, Jacob is a Hebrew word uh, that meant to grab the heel. He who grabs at a heel. That was an idiom in Hebrew to to deceive. Kind of like in English, we might say, you know, you're pulling my leg. You're grabbing my heel. You're not telling me the truth. It's, it's, It's right there in his name. It's who he is, Esau says. See, I tell a lie and then another one and then I become a liar. And none of us thinks we are, you know, we get caught and we think, well, that's not me, that's not what I stand for. But we have to see this truth. I'm Jacob, you are Jacob, we're Jacob. Rebecca hears about what's going on. Esau now wants to kill his brother. And so Rebecca says to Jacob, you have to go see your uncle Laban. You have to move far away from this family or Esau will kill you. Now, Rebecca has to tell her, her husband, Isaac, why their son, Jacob, is moving far away. And she doesn't want to tell him the truth. She doesn't want to tell him she was eavesdropping and set up this whole deception. Notice what she does. Deception runs all the way through this story. Then Rebecca said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. I just want to die. Like I I have to send Jacob away or else he'll marry one of these Hittite women. By the way, Esau married a couple of Hittite women and they were thought to be women who would lead toward idolatry. And Rebecca says, I don't want Jacob to marry one of them. 
I want him to marry someone who will uh, keep him strong in the faith. Let's send him away to Uncle Laban. Now, this may well be true. She didn't want him to marry a Hittite woman, but that's not why she's sending him away. But she was not going to tell her husband why she really was sending him away because then she'd have to admit she's a liar. You see, this is all going on and every one of these characters isn't pagan. Like, they're not idolaters. These are the people of God, the people that God is going to use to create his community. I mean, this is us. This is you and me. This is just a truth about us. All right, we'll talk more about this in just a moment. Vanity Fair has a YouTube series in which they hook up celebrities to a lie detector and have them answer silly questions and sometimes serious questions. I was recently watching one with Maya Hawk and Camila Mendez, and in the middle of this video, as Maya is asking Camila questions, Camila lies. And so Maya calls her out for being a liar, and the camera deadpans to the lie detector operator, and he says, well, most people are. It's this dramatic pause to reflect on the truth that most people, all people, are liars. Maya asks a follow-up question. She asks, do you think you lie more to be funny or lie more to hide your true feelings? It's this funny and little video, and the videos are more entertainment than they are this deep revelation of the human psyche, but the moment caught in this video points toward the same moment we read about here in the story of Jacob. Here's the truth, right? A truth that Matt has already stated. We all lie. And the story here reveals that for Jacob and probably for a lot of us, this instinct or movement to lie is in part inherited from what we see around us. Our parents lied, our siblings lied, the totality of our families lied, and so we've inherited family patterns of lying. Lying is also, as we see in the story of Jacob, crafted around an identity that is rooted in our own egos or thoughts rather than what God is doing in our lives. It's easy for us, uh, for me, to craft for ourselves these self-narratives that are formed in part by childhood trauma or issues and in another part crafted by what culture feeds us. These self-narratives, these identity markers, move us to reach for things and when we don't grasp them, we craft lies that we tell ourselves and tell others so that we seem good enough and smart enough and wealthy enough to be loved and accepted. And Jacob is caught up in this. The inherited family lives intermingle with his self-identity lives and it crafts this perfect storm. The story reveals how easy it is for us to get caught up in a world that isn't from God, to get caught up in identity that while maybe pursuing God isn't rooted in God. And I think if we were honest, we would all be able to identify a lie in ourselves that we need to work on. One of the spiritual practices we talk about and engage in is this spiritual practice called fasting. Throughout the Bible, we see people fasting. Jesus and his disciples fasted. And throughout the Old Testament, we see people voluntarily reducing or giving up something so that they can lean into God. And normally fasting is done with food. Uh, but what if this week you fasted from a lie? Let's, as a community, do a deep internal search and find one of our identity markers that is a lie, something counter to what God has placed for us and in us. And when we identify that marker, let us as a group work on fasting from it. From giving up the internal narrative or thing we tell people, let's replace our lies with God's truth and see what God has for us as we allow his truth to be our identity. 
Do you think Jacob fasted from his lie? Well, let's rejoin Matt and find out. There's a wonderful little book by Eugene Peterson. Uh, he was the author of the Message Translation of the Bible. Uh, he wrote a book a number of years ago, his memoir. Uh, it's called The Pastor. And it tells about a time when he was starting a church. It was a Presbyterian church and he had to write reports to the, de the denominational headquarters every month about how the church was doing. And he never heard back from the headquarters. And after a while, he started to think, I bet no one is actually reading these reports. Like this is Eugene Peterson. Uh, he must have had the most brilliant imagination in the world. I mean, he was a fabulously gifted writer. So he started making up wild stories about what was going on in his ministry just to see if anyone at headquarters was actually reading this stuff. He was really good at it too. And so he started this story about how he had developed the drinking problem and had, a, had started drinking before he would give his sermons on Sunday mornings. And he wrote one time that he was so drunk that he couldn't finish the sermon, that they had to bring up an elder to finish the sermon. And he had never heard back from headquarters. I mean, this is Eugene Peterson who wrote the Bible. He made up that he was having an affair with a woman at the church and he got caught you know, carrying on in the sanctuary by someone. And he was sure the elder board was going to fire him. But it turns out the church was filled with swingers and the next weekend attendance doubled. <laughs> and he didn't hear back from anyone at headquarters. And so he just kept going on telling these stories. He told another story about how he used hallucinogenic mushrooms for communion and it was the greatest worship that he ever had. Nothing from headquarters. And he did this for three years. Finally, the church graduated. It wasn't a plant anymore. And so he didn't have to send these reports anymore. And guys from headquarters met with him to have a little party to congratulate him. And he said this, he said, by the way, did you guys ever read those reports I sent you? And their response was, oh yeah, we read every word. We took them very seriously. And he said, well, that's kind of surprising. And then he told them about the stories that he made up about drinking and the affair and the uh, hallucinogenic mushrooms, and they weren't amused. But here's what's interesting. Their response was all just like buck passing. Well, you know, I didn't read them all personally, but you know, someone else did. You see, it's so hard for someone to say, I lied. I'm embarrassed that I didn't do my job. I'm embarrassed to be caught right now. It's just be, it would just be way too humiliating for me because I didn't read them. And I told you a lie because I didn't want you to think badly of me because I didn't want you to look at me and think, you know, what an inefficient or untrustworthy person. That's why I lied. It's so hard. This is so hard. You see, Jesus's community is not a community of people who are just these little uh, perfect truth tellers. We do this, right? We all do this. We're all Jacob. It's in me. It's in you. I'm Jacob. You're Jacob. We're all Jacob. You see, this is where people get healed. Jacob left home. He went to Uncle Laban. And if you heard me tell this story last week, it's fabulous because Uncle Laban turned out to be an even bigger con man than Jacob is, which is part of Jacob's moral and spiritual education, you know, to find out how it feels. He met Laban's two girls, 
Leah the older and Rachel the younger, who was lovely. He fell head over heels in love with Rachel. Uncle Laban said, well, work for me seven years and you can have Rachel as your wife. Jacob did, and they seemed to him only like a couple of days because of his love for her. And then it's the wedding night. And there's a lot of drinking and it's dark and the bride is brought into his wedding tent. And then the writer of scripture says, when morning came, there was Leah. Jacob thought he had gotten married to Rachel, but when morning came, there was Leah. Imagine that moment. Jacob said to Uncle Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? This is unbelievable. Remember, this is Jacob who is saying this, like, why have you deceived me? Why have you Jacobed me? He says to Uncle Laban. Uncle Laban just turned out to be a better deceiver than Jacob was. And we're this way, aren't we? See, if you deceive me, I'm about like a thousand times more likely to remember that than if I deceive you. Like if I deceive you, I might not even notice it. Like I rationalize it, I justify it, I, I forget it really fast. But if someone deceives me, man, I carry that around with me. That's why we're such a mess. You know, we all think about the person we wish was here to hear this right now. Because of course, you know, I don't need this, but there are people in my life who really need to be hearing this. That's just like bounces right off of Laban. Uncle Laban could have said, you know, Jacob, I'm so sorry. And of course, you'd be devastated. You know, you'd be deeply wounded. What was I doing? He doesn't do that. What he says is, you know, it's not our custom here to give our younger daughter in marriage before the older one. You know, what were you thinking? You should have known. Don't come whining to me about it. And you know what? We all do this. In preparation for this week's message, I was reading about how people who use online dating services routinely uh, present themselves as richer, smarter, more attractive, and younger than they actually are. They will post pictures of themselves that were taken like five or 10 or 15 years earlier than they actually are. Like that's gonna fool someone. People will go to their boss at work and say, you know what, what a great decision you just made when, when they know that's a lie. They'll come up to a pastor after a service and say, you know, that was a great sermon when they know it was just a lie. We live in a world where this just gets so deeply inside of us. At one point, Jacob is led by God to go back home. Look what happens. This is so fascinating. This is just how deeply deception gets into the human spirit. This is you and me, you know, I'm Jacob, you're Jacob. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and your relatives and I will be with you. Now, notice exactly what God says. Go back to the land of your fathers and your relatives and I will be with you. In the next chapter, Jacob is praying to God and he's gonna, re he's gonna repeat back to God what it is God told him as he was going back home. But there's a tiny little difference in what Jacob claims God says than what God actually says. This is what Jacob says. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, who, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. You know, God says, well, you know, you know, being God means I have real, a real good memory. I didn't actually say I will make you prosper. I said, I will be with you. Jacob is so addicted. He's so uh, captured by deceit. It's in him so much. I mean, he's doing it when he prays. 
like God wouldn't know. Oh, by the way, God knows all truth. Like everything is light to God. And it's so interesting when Jacob has his own son. It's so interesting in this story. This is what happens. Uh, he was so wounded because his father Isaac played favorites with Esau. He used his brother's clothes to deceive his father. Then when he becomes a father, Jacob has a favorite son, Joseph, and he gives him a coat of many colors. You may know the story. His brothers use their brother Joseph's clothes, which they smeared with blood to deceive their father, Jacob. And you know, this just keeps going and going and going. And part of what the writer of scripture is teaching us without ever saying it in these words is how different this story would have been if Jacob would have just said to his father, dad, I'm so wounded, I'm so hurt. Do you have a blessing for me, dad? Or if he could have just said to his brother Esau, my brother, I'm scared of missing out. Will you share with me? Or if Rebecca could have said to her husband Isaac, you know, Isaac, I'm worried about our boy Jacob. Or if Uncle Laban could have said to Jacob, Jacob, I'm worried about my girl Leah. And then just trust. See, the reason we lie is it just gets way deep into our, our mouths and our brains and our neurons and uh, we don't even see it. We don't even know it. It's a habit. It's a strategy. It's a skill. It's an art form. It's like just a way of life. I don't trust that if I tell the truth, God will take care of me. John says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. You see, this is the great invitation. And so I wanna ask you now, where is God calling you to step into the light? Maybe there's financial deception in your life. I mean, that makes such a train wreck and creates so much shame. God is saying, come on, trust me. Bring it into the light. Maybe you're in a relationship where you've been crossing lines. Maybe it's an affair. It's an honor, it's a, it's a relationship that dishonors God. Your heart is pounding when you hear these words from me because God is prompting you right now. Will you bring it into the light? Will you come out of darkness? Maybe it's an addiction, a substance or pornography or gambling or whatever and you've been living such a double life, a secret life, a hidden life. God is saying, will you bring it into the light? Will you stop trying to hide and manage it? Maybe it's a way you've been trying to manage your reputation. Where is God calling you to come into the light? Will you stop living in deceit? You see, this is the invitation. And maybe you've never done this before, you've never actually come into the light. I just want you to know, God already knows. Like whatever you and I think we're keeping hidden, keeping a secret, God already knows. And God already loves you. He gave his son to die and to be risen for you and for me. But here's the deal, even God will not force you to take a step into the light. You have to do that. Will you do me a favor and just bow your head and close your eyes for a moment? Maybe you've never done this before. Maybe you have shame, you have guilt, you have regret, and maybe you wanna stop hiding and you wanna come home. You could do that right now. Just pray to God 
God, I want to confess my secret inner shame and my guilt, my sin, the stuff I've been living in fear that someone will find out about. I don't want to live in fear anymore. I want to be clean. I want to be free. Through the death of your son, Jesus, through the blood that was shed for me on the cross, through your sacrificial love, God, would you make me clean? Let Jesus be my friend and my guide, my nurturer, my savior. You know, God will do that for you right now. This is the invitation. Come into the light. Whatever has been going on, whatever you've been keeping hidden, wherever you need to confess, whatever you need to let go of, whatever is required for your heart to be clean before God and for you to walk in fellowship in lightness, and don't let this moment go. It's not about anyone else. This is just you. God is calling you right now to come out of the darkness and into the light. All right, would you pray with me? God, we have a confession to make, and that is, I am Jacob. We are Jacob. And God, we confess that uh, we have fallen, we've sinned, we've made mistakes, we have guilt and shame and hurt and pain as a result of uh, the deceit that's in our lives. But God, we also confess, we profess, that you are Jesus, that you are the forgiver, you're the healer, you love and you care, and you want us to bring our sin into the light so that it can be exposed, so that you can start this healing process in our lives. God, help us to do that. Help us to bring it into the light with you and help us to bring it into the light with someone we trust who can help us on this journey that you have us on. And God, would you lead us to a place where we live in the light? This is the best place to live. It's where you are. It's where uh, your uh, healing touch is at work in our lives, where you're molding us and shaping us into the men and women that you want us to be. Help us to stay in the light. Help us to live there. And God, would you lead us to places where Man, we didn't expect we can go because we're living your truth. We're living uh, in the reality of who we were meant to be, the way that you designed us to live. And may that lead us to uh, freedom and hope and joy and fulfillment in this life. And we ask this because of Jesus Christ who died for us and who raised to new life to give us hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, boy. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. And um, we hope to see you on Sunday soon.